Hello and welcome to the Dead Funny Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I'm your host for the show. This is the 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days series. Today, End of Life Doula that we are talking with is Carrie Lynn Turney. Hi. Nice to have you here. I'm so, so happy to be here. Great. You are joining us from Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a good handful of Canadian end of life doulas. Yeah, it's 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 lovely. Um, we're seeing more and more training programs and doulas coming from Canada, and it, it's an awesome movement. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. It is exciting. I'm up in Washington State, as I say in many of these episodes, and so we're really close. I feel we're good neighbors. We're friendly. Yeah. So let's dive in and just start with your why. Why did you go into the field of end of life doulas? I, uh, my mother died in 1995 and she was not even 50. I believe she was 47 and um, she wasn't expecting her life to be cut so short. She had lung cancer that spread to her brain and things progressed very quickly. We found out in August and she died in November. And she didn't really have a whole lot of time to sort of take care of things. She didn't, I think she was just in shock and so angry and had so many things left to do that, in my opinion, she had a horrible death. And cancer, as we know, is, I mean, it's not wonderful anytime. But I think because she had not thought about her own mortality and hadn't said goodbyes and made amends with people or, you know, given wisdom that she wanted to share with people it was hard and she really fought hard to not die. And then um, it was uh, devastating for my family because she was so young. I was in my early twenties. My sister wasn't even an adult yet. And then in 2016, my mother-in-law passed away and she was much older. She was in her eighties, but she had everything planned and had said things to people she had always wanted to say and tracked down people she hadn't talked to in years and given things to people that she wanted them to have. And if she didn't give them to them, she wrote on the bottom with a little sticker, this goes to this person and had her funeral paid for songs picked out. Like it was so much easier for us to not have to worry about those things, but even more so she was comfortable going. She recorded videos. She called it, it's my story and I'm sticking to it. And she recorded these beautiful DVDs telling family stories and she had journals and diaries and it just left such a different impression. And I thought, wow, like that's the way it really always should be. And not everybody's so blessed to have such a long life. So I started thinking about it and had approached hospice to volunteer. And they said, well, it's too new. You need to wait a few years and do your own grieving. So I kind of put it aside, but then I kept just thinking about it. And people my age, I'm 50, were losing their parents more and more and losing their spouses. And some were starting to lose their children. And I thought, oh my goodness, now that I know the difference of how it can be, I have to do something. So I started taking just little courses here and there and reading as much as I could. And then Anna Adams started International Doula Life Movement, and it was a lot more affordable. And I loved the way she talked on her website about ongoing support. And as soon as I talked to her, you could tell that this was going to be a family. And that's what it's really turned into. And it's been quite wonderful. So now I get to help people 
sort of think about those things and encourage them to make those decisions and hopefully have a better death and have a a better experience as well for their families. Long story, sorry. (laughs) You love the long story. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. The dichotomy of having two examples of what Mm -hmm. this can look like. It's touching. So we got, we've crossed a little bit there with how or why you got into this. And then Mm -hmm. we crossed into how you did it. So you met Anna Adams over at International Dual Life Movement and it was affordable and it felt like a family. What else can you say about your training? Um, It was very thorough. I had been doing my own reading. So some of it wasn't new, but when Anna is teaching, she uses a lot of case studies. So it makes it a lot more real. And we did case studies as well. If it weren't a pandemic that we're in the middle of, we would go out and actually, while we're students, work with someone that's dying. But because that's not possible really right now, she had us do case studies of real situations. And we had to work in groups with other doulas in training and see what we would do. And we did obituaries, we planned services, set up visitation schedules. So it was really hands-on. And it was pretty cool too, because We got to know other doulas and this community is so welcoming and warming. It's just lovely. And we also felt like we got to know the person we were doing the case study on. So at the end, when he actually passes away, even though he had however long ago in real life, we were all sad, you know, and we felt it because it was so real. And that's something she really, Anna does a lot of keeping things real. So it's not just you're learning these sort of textbooks textbook things, you're learning things that happen in real life. And she has great speakers that come that share their stories of um, their work, sometimes as nurses or just other uh, different occupations in the death and dying field. And it really just does become like a big family. And I think that's so important for death workers to be supporting each other. And yeah, it's just, it's a really great course. I just, um, She has other core courses as well that she's doing. She's adding a menopause doula. Um, She'll be doing birthing doulas at some point. And we have all kinds of kind of continuing, continuing the movement, she calls them courses. And they've just been really amazing and so much more in depth than the couple of courses I had taken with other companies earlier. So it was a perfect fit, I think. So you did that training during the pandemic? Mm -hmm. So much learning going on last year for end of life doulas, it seems. Yes, absolutely. That's going to be a challenge as we move into the challenges of being an end of life doula, not being able to be bedside Mm -hmm. at this time. What other challenges are you finding as you're setting up your business and getting ready to be feet on the ground doing this work? Well, trying to earn a living at it. That's why I have a, a publishing and writing background. So I was kind of happy to be away from that for a while because it it was mostly about um, home building and real estate, which is awesome, but it wasn't filling that, you know, that need to serve. So I thought when I realized that I wasn't going to be able to go into people's homes or into care homes or hospices to work with people, I thought, what can I do knowing what I already know? So I started writing eBooks and decided to hold some courses myself. And Anna also invited me to teach with her. So I'm starting to make some money and which is wonderful. But most of all, 
I've been able to, I, I wasn't planning on going into specifically legacy sort of type work. It was, I was going to, I don't know, maybe do it all. I thought at one point, but I keep getting called in that direction. And that's legacy work is something I can use my background to keep going. So I think the biggest thing for doulas I've been talking to right now is trying to find a way to earn money doing what they really want to do. And it's with the pandemic, it's not so easy to do that. Even non-pandemic, it seemed it was difficult to make money in this work. Is that what you hear as well? Um, I hear that a lot of people were doing it part-time and doing other things as well. And I think a lot of it too comes down to Sometimes in industries where you're really kind of heart-centered businesses where you're really serving someone, if you're going out and doing it on your own, there's this sort of almost guilt about charging people, which is unfortunate because it is a service. And I mean, there was probably a time where I would have said, if I had enough money, I'd do it for free for everybody, but that's just not realistic. And it's hard work and exhausting work being bedside with someone. It's an honor and it's a blessing to be there for their last transition, but it is exhausting and it it deserves to be paid, it deserves to be paid work. So um, hopefully, you know, that as the movement keeps growing and there are more and more end-of-life doulas, that won't be such an issue and people won't. And, you know, I don't even know if it's so much people don't want to pay for it, so so many people don't even know that there are end of life doulas. They maybe know hospice, maybe know palliative care, but they don't even know that we exist. So part of what we need to do is get ourselves out there and show that we fill in those gaps. And there's a spiritual component that we can address um, that other organizations maybe don't or won't. And being a go-between, you know, between families and just all the, all the different things that go into it and helping people even just learn about the stages of dying and what to expect for paperwork and all these different things. And doulas can be there. I mean, you can, if you're working on your own, you can set your own schedule. So if you want to sit bedside 12 hours by somebody, you can, whereas hospice, which is amazing, an amazing resource. My mom had hospice and so did my mother-in-law and I mean, they were wonderful, but they were there, you know, a couple hours at a time, however often, and it just wasn't enough. So we can really go and fill in those gaps. What I'm hearing you say, and the majority of the people I've spoken to, it's education, mm-hmm. letting people know that you exist and what you can offer. I really love the connection between payment and that. It's almost that people don't know what they're paying for. So how can they pay you if they don't know what they're getting? Because we just don't know what end-of-life doulas do, how they do it, when they're, when are they going to be there? How is this going to help me? And it goes always back to that awareness and education. Absolutely. So let's go. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about, so you said you have a writing background mm-hmm. in publishing. You wrote this book. If you go to your website, which there's a link in, in the show notes below, say, can you say a little bit about that? I'm sure it's just a sort of an introduction to legacy work and letting people know um, how it can, how legacy work can help. Um, I believe that one of the things that we need to do when we're dying is to really face it. And I'm hoping that 
through sending out this ebook that it'll get people starting to think about the end of their lives because we never know. I mean, it could be tomorrow. It could be during this podcast. Who knows, right? So I think it's really important to have things in order to make it easier for your loved ones, but also to take some of the burden off of yourself. We carry so much around, you know, things we wish we would have said, or I don't know, things, things we wish we would have said, things we wish we would have expressed, love we wish we would have shown. And I think it just gives such a better death if you can unload some of that. And I think it's really important to do that. So I'm hoping that with this ebook, it'll get people thinking a little bit about legacies. And you can't really think about legacies without facing mortality. And I just, I don't know, I just think it's important. And it's such a strange thing to me that we celebrate births in such a big way and celebrate all kinds of milestones. And then when it comes to death, at least in North America, a lot of it is there's a funeral, people snoodle a little bit, and then you go on. And it's huge. I mean, it's a huge thing. This person has finished their life and left their impact on the world. And it needs to be treated like something sacred, like it is. So anyway, I hope, <laughs> sorry, I'm going all over. I hope that my eBooks, I'll be doing more as well. I have a couple in the works right now. We'll get people sort of having those conversations with each other and thinking. And I know also when my mom passed away, because it. I mean, I guess from August to November isn't that totally unexpected, but it was unexpected enough. And we were in such grief that we didn't think to ask questions. I mean, I would love to know, mom, how did you balance being a mom and working? How did you feel about this? And even health things. Was there a history of this? Was there a history of that? And my dad, bless his heart, will say, well, I can answer those questions. But some of them are mom questions that he just he just can't answer. So I think it's important to be talking about these things and asking these questions um, before it's too late to do so. I was going two different ways. One with the grief that we feel and feeling the feelings. Mm -hmm. And a big piece of the reason why in North America, in my beliefs, in my opinion on this, is that we just aren't really great at feeling our feelings. Mm -hmm. so we want to over overcast it with happiness and good things. So celebrations of life, positive feelings, don't have balloons, have, you know, have a party, have all these things, because that would make us not feel the grief. Right. As a grief therapist, there is nothing positive about that piece. It's, it's both. You can really enjoy that this person was part of your life and that you love them and that they were great and they had great parts of their life. And it sucks. It mm -hmm. sucks that people die and leave us and make us so sad. And so it's more complicated. It just really disrespects the people that are grieving and allowing them to have those feelings yes. because it sucks. It does. It's really, it's brutal. It's so brutal. And I remember when the moment my mom passed away and they said that like, that's it. I fell to my knees and I was like crying hard and the hospice nurse came over and patted me on the shoulder and asked me to keep it quiet because it might be upsetting to the other, my other family members that were there. And I thought that was so weird. And since I've been doing the studying, I hear all these things about different cultures where they just let it out and they wail. I mean, it hurts. It hurts so bad. And to try to keep that in 
like you say, it's disrespectful. It doesn't honor the person and it doesn't honor the person that passed either. I don't think, because if you love somebody that deeply that it hurts so much, it just doesn't make any sense to push it down. And I know with myself, I was in journalism school and she died the first year and all the teachers and the school counselor, oh, you know, maybe come back another year. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And at the time I thought it was great because I felt like I was doing what I had intended to do, which was go to school. And they were like, no, take some time, take some time. But what I ended up doing was throwing myself so fully into school. And I mean, I graduated top three in my class. I got a scholarship, did all these things. And I was so proud of myself. And I didn't realize that pushing all my grief down, which is what I was doing. I didn't let it. I mean, occasionally a cry once in a while, or, you know, what we call it, I'm having a bad mom day. I call my sister in Ontario and we'd have a little cry, but it was never that big feeling, letting that big feeling out until I actually saw a counselor after my mother-in-law died. And I don't even remember what he said, but whatever it was, he just let me cry. And he just held me while I cried and cried. And I'm sure all of my city could hear it. (laughs) Like it was huge, but oh my goodness, what a difference in my life. And that's something else. I'm, I don't know that I've quite figured out because I'm not a counselor. Um, I don't know that I've quite figured out yet what I want to do as far as encouraging people to grieve other than saying, find a grief counselor or go to support groups, but it is so important. And I mean, it gave me a whole host of illness type things of just not feeling well. And, you know, I, I feel like such a different person since I finally started to let myself grieve and realize how important it is to do it. And it's a shame that it makes other people uncomfortable, but I don't really care. (laughs) To be (laughs) honest, you have to, you have to deal with it. You can't shove it down because it'll just make you sick. And ironically, that was one thing my mom always did with her emotions is push them down and shove them down. And my family still believes to this day that that had something to do with her getting so ill because she didn't let herself feel those feelings or name those feelings. So yeah, it's grief's a big one. It's, it's so brutal. It sucks. <laughs> like you say, it sucks. It sucks. There's no better term for it. It sucks. Yeah. This is a different lesson. We haven't gone into grief too much in these episodes, but I love that we brought that in to this one. Our body is holding that, whether we express it at those moments or not, and it will hold it until it's released. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest moments that I had in graduate school to be a family therapist after I had lost many, many people, parents, both my parents, extra parents, partners, a lot of grief going on. Mm-hmm. My grief teacher said, if grief is unaddressed, it will come back up in every life cycle transition. So anytime you're having a mm-hmm. big moment, it will come back and it will, it will be bigger and harder for you to go through those transitions. Yeah. You know, that, that makes so much sense. And it even explains last night, actually, because yesterday was my 50th birthday and my husband gave me a present of perfume and it was a perfume that my mother-in-law had worn. And when he gave me that perfume, holy moly, it was such a, such a mixture of feelings, but there was definitely some grief in there. And even things like, I mean, you have all kinds of transitions. One of my sons is graduating this year 
So that's super emotional. And there's that added grief in there because I I'm still working through my grief of my both of my mothers. So yeah, any kind of big transition like that. And it's sometimes it's that they're not here to experience it. They didn't my my own mother didn't meet my children. She died before they were born. So any kind of big milestone like that, I'm thinking I wish you were here to see it or, you know, I'll talk to her a little bit. Um, but even if it's not so much a noticeable feeling of she's missing it or they're missing her being there. Yeah. It just brings up all kinds of stuff, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I did not plan on being a grief therapist when I started uh, therapy. I was a mm-hmm. geriatric mental health counselor and I love working with older adults. I was learning these things and I was like, oh my gosh, if everyone knew that, if everyone could see that and go to grief counselors, how mm-hmm. many years could we have a little bit lighter? It's not going to go away. We still carry the bag. It's just a lighter bag. On a whole other note, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and thank, thank you for you. this conversation and bringing all these things here to the table and helping people understand a lot of this work is it looks different for every single end of life doula. And I want to make note that you are teaching at International Doula Life. Doula Life Movement. Movement. And I was going to ask you the final question, which is what hopes do you have for your business and end of life doula field? Um, For my business, um, it is something that I hope to be able to be doing full time. Um, And I'm kind of torn a little bit between, I figured when I started this training, I would be working with one family at a time. But now the way things are with the pandemic, of course, I'm looking at teaching and maybe that as a full-time thing at some point. I don't know. I guess, I guess it's hard to say until we know how the pandemic goes. I am enjoying the teaching part of it. And it's really cool um, to be able to reach more than one person at a time, more than one family at a time. And I was kind of thinking when I started with the teaching that, well, you know, it's not going to be as personal because you're not sitting with the person, but it actually is a lot more personal than I was expecting. And I'm just thrilled with if you hold a workshop, how many people get involved and how many people have a story they want to share and we need to share our stories. And I think it's just wonderful. So I'm hoping that this industry will just grow and grow and people will really start to see how doulas can support a family, the person that's dying as well as the family that's going to be left behind as we call it. So I'm just hoping that it'll just keep growing and, and more and more people will become doulas. And I mean, it's, it's not like some industries where things are so competitive because there's so many people in the world, everybody's going to die. So there's plenty to go around and there's plenty of good work to be done. And I really like how you were talking about death positive um, versus that's complicated. While I do appreciate the death positive movement, I think it's kind of going in a, in a different way and to hide or to cover up um, the pain that's involved with death and dying, whether it's you or someone else needs to be addressed as well and not pushed down. So I think this is exciting. There's new things happening all the time and it's just wonderful. It's the work. It's doing the work and helping people. Thank you for being here, Carolyn. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you well. And thank you for sharing your stories also. And 
getting what doulas do out to people and showing the diversity. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a different background, a different focus, different tools that they add. And it's really a wonderful emerging industry. Thank you so much for inviting us and sharing this with everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Listeners, thank you for listening to the show. Please like, share, subscribe, and then head on over to Patreon if you want to support us in doing this podcast and continue these series. That would be awesome. And there's some swag involved and some fun stuff and some fun meetings. So that is all for today. And we'll see you in the next episode.